Hey, before we get started, I want to remind you that Truce is listener-supported. If you want to be a part of this one-of-a-kind show that asks big questions in an approachable way, become a patron. For just $5 a month, you can help me tell big stories like this upcoming season on the history of fundamentalism. And you'll get access to bonus materials. That's all at patreon.com slash trucepodcast. That's patreon.com slash trucepodcast. Hello, everybody. This is Chris Starin. Um, I've gotten some notes from listeners about this episode, and I think they're good notes to keep in mind. So this episode features Abby Johnson, who at the time of recording was the subject of some media attention because of her movie Unplanned, which was about her time working with Planned Parenthood. Uh, since then, she's gone on to become a conspiracy theorist and spread a lot of really damaging lies across the internet. So I really hesitated to leave this episode up, but for now, I'm thinking that maybe this little warning might be enough because I think the episode itself is pretty good and has some good information. Uh, if you disagree, feel free to contact me on social media or at trucepodcast at yahoo.com and we can continue the discussion further. I hope you enjoyed the episode. And again, remember, if you look up Abby Johnson after this, uh, please take everything she says with a grain of salt. One of the stories in this piece contains a graphic description of abortion. It may not be appropriate for younger listeners. Discretion is advised. At the end of March, I had the honor of attending the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Anaheim, California. There were film screenings, live radio broadcasts, booths, tchotchkes, and food. I was blessed with a press pass, so that meant I could interview people. And so I did. So we're just going to walk around here at the convention center and just ask some questions of people, see why they came and what they're all about. My name is Jody Brown. Jody, pleasure to meet you. Good to meet you. What's at, what's at your booth here? Well, I'm representing uh, American Family Association, one, and one of our ministries is American Family Radio. We have 185 stations uh, nationwide. All right, so here I am. I am at the booth for the Museum of the Bible, and they have these VR glasses. I just took a tour of the museum, and now I'm going to go to Israel. You really don't want me with a microphone in general in life. <laughs> uh, I'm Lee Cunningham with the North American Mission Board. Okay, so the Who's Your One initiative is simply a call to personal evangelism. So. So many of us as believers um, kind of know in general and want to be, to share our faith, but we just kind of get stuck or feel intimidated by it or whatever. So who's your one is simply a, a call to say, hey, who's one person that I'm going to commit to pray for and to try to have some conversations about life and faith with. All right, here I am in another booth. I've got Andrew Cooper here. Andrew, uh, who are you here with? I'm here with American Telecenters, and we are a call center right outside of Atlanta, Georgia, and we help ministries with donation calls, prayer calls. So this is like if you get a, a large ministry, maybe TV ministry, radio ministry, and you, you all would handle the calls if somebody was calling to donate? Yes, sir. That is correct. Okay, so within my site, I can see uh, there are guys trying to sell a case that will charge your phone. Uh, I, I don't know why they're here. Uh, there's some radio networks. Uh, we've got some TV networks, of course. Here we go. Now i got to tighten the strap. Yep. I see the black screen that says Explorer. This is fun. This is the most fun booth I've been to. This is not just Lifesavers and Hershey's Kisses. This is, this is fun. Ooh, I'm in a hallway that's unlabeled. So I'm looking at a big church and it's looking down at a bunch of guys in white robes and there's a guy with a camcorder fussing around trying to get a good shot. He's my favorite part of the store so far. 
once I finally walked away from the VR glasses, I was able to get down to business. Conferences like NRB are fun to walk around, but the main attraction is the conversations. Interesting people were everywhere. I'll be bringing you some of those conversations over the next few minutes and in future episodes. At NRB, people from every corner of the media world get together to talk about reaching out through media. I talk to hundreds of people off mic and on at lectures, classes, press conferences, even standing in line for lunch. After a few hours, some patterns started to emerge. One was a focus on Israel. Another was an obsession with the Holocaust. It came up so often. Another theme was Christian filmmakers who were concerned about the future of distribution now that we've gone to streaming. There was also another subject that kept coming up. The recurring theme of censorship. I'm Crystal Foose and Amy Nave with All Social. And what is All Social? It is a social media platform, a free social media platform. 100% of your content that you post will be delivered to your followers. So when I say social media platform, it's, it's a platform that is just like um, free like Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or so just along those lines. But 100% so we don't have an algorithm and everything that you post will be delivered to your followers. And we also don't censor any religious, religious or political differences or your views or anything like that. Um, so you have the right to post whatever you want as long as it's PG-13 and less. So we you know, want people to be an adult and uh, make sure that they stay within those boundaries. Absolutely, All Social was created out of a need for a platform that people can feel comfortable in posting without fear of being banned for saying Jesus or saying their, their views. So I actually am unaware, are Christians being blocked from things like Twitter and Facebook? You know, you know, we've heard rumors that, you know, people that post things about Jesus or about abortion that are, uh, we have a big following. And, you know, we don't know if it's a coincidence or not that a lot of our posts have been suppressed. So we have like 35 million followers and right now we reach less than 1%. Recently, Christians have grown afraid of censorship. On social media, in the news, through search engines, it may sound alarmist or a little cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, but is it? If Christian messages are being suppressed, what, if anything, should we do? You're listening to the show that uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. We press pause on the culture wars to explore how we got here and how we can do better. I'm Chris Starin, and this is Truce. Our story starts with this lady. For this, just so I can get the levels right, what did you have for breakfast this morning? Oh, I had two breakfasts this morning. One for me, one for the baby. Okay. Her name is Abby Johnson. What, which yeah. one was yours, which one was the baby? Uh, I think the donut was for me. We did the interview in this big convention hall that was divided into smaller fabric cubicles while two of her associates tapped away on keyboards. Abby's story gets to the heart of a lot of issues I heard about at NRB. Censorship, yes, but also abortion. Many Christians, not all Christians, but many are pro-life. 
She has, in recent years, become one of the faces of this debate in politics and within Christianity itself. We'll start with her story. Even if you're not pro-life, it's worth listening because this story illustrates recent concerns about censorship. Here's Abby. You know, I, I got involved um, in college. I, I didn't know anything about Planned Parenthood, honestly. I don't even know if I'd heard the name Planned Parenthood until that day um, that I was on campus and they were trying to recruit volunteers and people who could eventually become staff. And, uh, you know, this lady, she was so nice and she was telling me all of the, giving me all the Planned Parenthood talking points about, uh, you know, wanting to keep abortion safe, legal, and rare and trying to reduce the number of abortions. And Planned Parenthood is, a, is about providing uh, health care to low-income women. I thought, well, who doesn't want to support that? I mean, all these things make sense to me. Of course, I want to support that. And uh... According to their 2017-2018 annual report, Planned Parenthood has over 600 locations where they provide birth control, sexually transmitted disease testing, and abortions in 357 of the 600 locations. I grew up Christian, grew up in the church, grew up in a conservative home, but... We didn't talk about abortion in my house, certainly didn't hear about it in the church. It's a misnomer that all Christians are involved in the pro-life movement. It just wasn't part of Abby's experience. And so I, I just really, I just didn't know anything about it. And I was very, because of that, because I, I didn't know anything about this topic on either side, really, I was very vulnerable. She started working at Planned Parenthood in administration, not as a nurse. So she was removed from the daily operations, the consultations, the procedures. She was good at what she did. Everything was going along fine. Kept getting promoted, got promoted to clinic director. And that last year I was there, 2009, uh, things really started to change for me. She was told to double the quota of abortions performed by her branch. Part of the mantra she'd heard about their policy was that they wanted to make abortions safe, legal, and rare. Now the mantra was safe, legal, and less rare. And they'd be expanding into late-term abortions. That was something I was not comfortable doing. Most people who are pro-choice have some sort of line in the sand where they say, okay, that's you know, that's too far. I believe in abortion up until this point. And um, viability was, was my point. And here we were going to be encroaching on that. And so she started to feel like this industry was no longer for her. Viability would be when the unborn child can live outside of the mother's womb uh, with medical Assistant. Because of advances in medical technology, babies are able to survive at younger and younger ages. The youngest baby to survive a premature birth spent just 21 weeks and four days in the womb. So one day, Abby was called back behind the scenes at Planned Parenthood, away from her office, to a medical room where a procedure was set up, an abortion. She could see the whole thing on an ultrasound monitor actually see what an abortion looks like inside the mother. This next section will be somewhat graphic. 
On the screen, she saw the suction cannula enter the woman's uterus. The suction cannula is, is, looks like a straw, um, and that's what's actually hooked up to the suction machine. And I could see it entering the woman's uterus, and when it, when it approached the baby and finally touched him, um, the baby jumped, and uh, as if it was startled, that there was something foreign there that shouldn't be there. And uh, the baby began sort of flailing his arms and legs as if he was trying to move away from the instrument. And, uh, I mean, there was nowhere for him to go. And the doctor asked the technician to turn on the suction machine, and um, he said, beam me up, Scotty. And the suction was turned on, and uh, I just saw this baby just being torn apart um, piece by piece going into the suction tube. And uh, the last thing I could see floating around in, in the woman's uterus was this perfectly formed backbone, this spine. And in just a second, it was sucked into the tube and the uterus was black and I knew that meant the abortion had been successful. The baby was just 13 weeks old. Just 13 weeks and the baby, so recently sperm and egg, could react, could struggle and fight even. And witnessing the procedure close up had a major impact on Abby. She left Planned Parenthood, quit her job, changed her beliefs and her whole worldview, and wrote a book called Unplanned. She's been speaking to people about abortion and what it's really like, what happens to the fetus. Her book is now a major motion picture, which brings us back to modern day. The film about Abby's life, also called Unplanned, hit theaters March 29, 2019, the day we did the interview. According to the Pew Research Center, when interviewing almost 8,600 evangelical Christians, 63% said they were against abortion in most cases. It is a central issue for many of us when entering the voting booth, so you would expect us to share about it on social media. Well, that's where Unplanned, the movie about Abby's life, ran into a snag. Really, even as I was talking to Abby, their Twitter feed disappeared. It was blocked by Twitter. Here is the Director of Public Policy and Philanthropy for Twitter speaking in front of a Congressional Judiciary Committee about that event. This account was caught in our automated systems used to, de to detect ban evasion. Ban evasion technology is an important tool to reduce the number of repeat offenders on our platform. Specifically, the person who created the movie's account was previously suspended for breaking our rules. We reinstated at Unplanned Movie as soon as it was brought to our attention that the account was not being used for similar violative activity. To summarize, Twitter's position was that the Twitter account for the film was suspended because of the person who started the account. That person had previously broken their user agreement, so Unplanned was blocked too for one hour, until Backlash got it reinstated. 
Whether the blackout was intentional or just really bad timing, the account cancellation happened the day the film was released, which is highly suspect, because the account had existed for months before that. Why cancel it on the day of the film's release? Twitter went a step further. Here is Chuck Konzelman, writer and co-director of the film, before that same committee. Later on the same day, Twitter apparently deleted the vast majority of those listed as followers on her account, reducing the number from something on the order of 200,000 to less than 200, a thousand to one reduction in our listed followers. Twitter deleted their followers. Apparently, if you had previously been following the unplanned account, you were now unsubscribed from their feed. Twitter is a big deal and their following disappeared in a flash. A dark cloud has hung over this film for quite a while, and it didn't stop with Twitter. Here again is Chuck Konzelman. The MPAA saddled us with an R rating, which strongly dis discourages much of the Christian audience and all of the Church of Latter-day Saints from seeing our film, since they have a general prohibition against seeing R-rated films. The MPAA, or the Motion Picture Association of America, is one of those organizations that is familiar to Americans and also unfamiliar. You know those green graphics at the beginning of a movie ad? They're the ones that tell you if a film is rated G, PG, PG-13, or R. Those ratings are determined by the MPAA. Mr. Konzelman is right. The Christian market is very particular. Many families will not see a film when it is rated above PG. R is a giant leap. An R rating has other issues connected with it, too. They wanted to put their advertisements, called trailers in the film world, in front of other theatrical releases. But with an R rating, we were prohibited from advertising before anything other than other R-rated films without special permission, which we sought and were denied. The target audience of Unplanned is basically people of faith and conservatives. And those people are going to the theater to see movies that are rated G and PG. Maybe a few PG-13s. But Unplanned's R rating prohibited their audience from finding the movie because they couldn't place their trailers in front of movies rated less than R. So the ads could not get in front of their intended audience. And the reality of the situation is that the film does contain stressful and graphic images in two specific scenes. One in which there is a CG recreation of what Abby saw on that ultrasound monitor. The other depicts her as played by an actress hemorrhaging after having taken an abortion pill. Film ratings are historically not just about violence, but also the way violence is portrayed. There is a difference between, say, a battle scene from The Lord of the Rings where someone is killed with a sword and a person in one of the Saw movies being dismembered by a blade. Both involve violence with a sharp object, but one is more psychologically abrasive. Or think about another R-rated movie like The Passion of the Christ, which was a graphic depiction of the horror of the crucifixion. Compare that to, say, the film adaptation of the musical Jesus Christ Superstar, which is rated G. In The Passion of the Christ, we see the nails being driven into Jesus' body. In Jesus Christ Superstar, that part is shot from far away with the hillside blocking the view. When their version of Jesus is crucified, there is literally no blood at all, not even around the nail wounds. Whereas in Mel Gibson's film, Jesus 
was covered in blood. Granted, the MPAA didn't have the span of ratings available to it in the 70s when Jesus Christ Superstar was released, but you can clearly see the difference between the two films. They depict the same actions, but without the same psychological anxiety. One got an R rating, the other got a G. Yes, there are films that are released with graphic nudity and violence that get PG-13 ratings. But given the psychological realities of Unplanned, could the R rating possibly be warranted? God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Our first miniseries, Connecting Dinah and the Woman at the Well, welcomes experts like Drs. Tim Mackey and Diane Landberg to give us insight and context into the physical location and meaning of these two stories. These stories will spark holy curiosity in your own faith, because once you see these connections, you can't unsee them. God wastes no person, place, or thing. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Kat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform. The hurdles encountered by Unplanned didn't stop with the R rating. The producers also wanted to advertise on cable TV with networks like Lifetime, Hallmark, and The Cooking Channel. No dice. They tried advertising online. Google Ads, formerly known as Google AdWords, blocked the entirety of the unplanned pre-release banner ads, which I should probably point out consisted of a woman, half of her face with a tear coming down, and the words saying what she saw changed everything. I don't think they were particularly offensive. No Google Ads. Google is a colossus in the ads market. If you can't get banner ads on Google, you're missing a lot of eyeballs. Surprisingly, they didn't have the same problem on Facebook where their trailer was viewed millions of times without issue. Facebook is not really off the hook though. It came under attack for suppressing conservative messages leading up to the 2016 US presidential election. So it, too, has a history of censoring free speech. Also at the NRB conference, I had the chance to sit down with Dr. Richard Land. Uh, I'm D Dr. Richard Land. I'm the president of Southern Evangelical Seminary in Charlotte, North Carolina, and the host of Bringing Every Thought Captive, which is a two-minute commentary every day on the news of the day from a Christian perspective. Being at a media conference, I asked him if there were any trends in the media world that concern him. Well, I think, you know, the, the revolution that's taking place in technology is something which I think Christians are using assiduously to uh, present the gospel. I think we have to be very concerned about um, the censorship that comes from Facebook and Twitter. Um, and as I look back on American history, it seems to me that we're either going to have to regulate Twitter and Facebook and these, these um, internet conglomerates like utilities uh, or we're going to have to do what uh, Ro Teddy Roosevelt did with the, uh, with the monopolies of Standard Oil. We're going to have to employ something like the Sherman Antitrust Act and break them up because they are clearly censoring Christian content and censoring conservative content from the Internet. 
and uh, that's a, that's a violation of freedom of speech. Freedom of speech. It's a tricky thing because it's guaranteed by the Constitution. It's one of the first rights that school children learn about. But like most simple statements or slogans, those three words are pretty complex. Freedom of speech. And I think it's worth examining the issues. Right now, the push among conservatives is for blanket free speech, but is that what we really want? Back to my conversation with Dr. Richard Land. I think he expressed the opinion of a lot of conservatives at this moment. By the way, it might be worth noting that not all confessing Christians are conservatives, and not all conservatives are Christians. This discussion's gonna get a little complicated, so let's use an illustration, remove us from unplanned just a little bit. This example is completely made up in hopes that maybe we can talk about this thing from a distance. Let's say there's a woman named Stacy. Stacy started her own social media network. It's a social media network for people who want to express themselves through painting and sculpture. Stacy puts together a business plan. She hires a staff and has the site coded. Gets patents, seed money, two rounds of funding, all this to build a website that is dedicated to letting people express themselves through art. Meanwhile, on the other side of the country, there's this guy named Dave. Hello? Dave makes statues, and he's decided he's going to make a statue for a public art project one that depicts power struggles throughout history. In his art studio, Dave chips away at a block of marble. Chips away until it's finished. The statue is tall, like 15 feet tall, and it's of a man dragging a woman by the hair. A pretty dark subject. It's cruel, brutal, and lifelike. Dave takes a picture of his statue and uploads it to Stacy's art-based social media website. It causes a stir because the statue depicts violence, and not just violence, but age-old ideas about male dominance and socially accepted abuse of women. Over the course of a few days, one user flags it, then another. Pretty soon, this statue has gone viral and Stacy has to make a decision. Allow the statue or take it down. If you were Stacy without any further information, what would you do? Would you take the picture down in order to create a safe environment, a place where kids could be safe on the internet, or do you allow the picture? If you take it down, then Dave is going to protest. There is a history of violence in statuary. I've posted a picture of the statue, The Rape of Polyzena, on the website if you'd like an example. That, too, is a public art sculpture on display in a public square in Florence, Italy, where it can be seen by families, by children, anybody. There's also a long history of art objectifying women. And by taking Dave's picture down, you're demonstrating that you really don't believe in unbridled freedom of speech. If you decide to leave the picture up there, then you could be creating a hostile environment for your users. So, which do you choose?
let's say you block the picture. Of course, Dave is going to get upset. And this brings us to our first major hurdle. The social media network is owned by Stacy and her shareholders, which means it's a private business, not owned by the government. The First Amendment protects our speech as it concerns the government. In other words, if Dave is out in the public square or, say, on a podcast, the U.S. government in general is going to leave him alone. However, if Dave is on a social media network that is not run by the government, he has to submit to that social media network's standards. So, Stacy has the right to take the photo down. She can limit what information goes out and why according to her standards as the business owner. Do you see what I mean? If she wants, Stacy can also decide that she's not going to allow posts about the movie Unplanned. It's her network for now. That's why Dr. Land said that he'd like to see regulation of social media networks like Facebook, because right now, they can do this kind of thing. They're not the government. As we've seen with Unplanned, certain messages can't get out there. That may sound pretty good depending on your worldview, but what if the shoe is on the other foot? Let's say Stacy has a different social media network, and it's really popular. This network is based on conservative family values. Dave gets on the site and posts a petition promoting legalizing abortion. To Dave, this is just an expression of his beliefs. He's expressing his right as a citizen. Except, just as liberal viewers of Dave's statues saw it as promoting violence towards women, conservatives will see this petition as promoting violence to children. Would you be okay with Stacy taking down the picture? Both posts promote violence, and both promote violence to historically easy targets. What do you do? The problem is that we say we want freedom of speech, no matter what. But do we really mean that? This was a common refrain at the National Religious Broadcasters Convention. We want free speech. Not just free speech in government, but also free speech on social media. Or do we just want our version of speech to be free? Do conservatives really want that? Totally free speech. Because just a year and a half ago, young men in the NFL were kneeling during the national anthem. Here is President Trump at a campaign rally in Huntsville, Alabama in September of 2017. Wouldn't you love to see one of these NFL owners when somebody disrespects our flag to say, get that son of a bitch off the field right now, out, he's fired. He's fired! Do you agree with President Trump? If you do, you've just proven that you don't want totally free speech. You want limited free speech. Your kind of free speech. You're saying that a football player is not allowed to express himself even in a non-violent way. Now, many liberals also do not want totally free speech. Think about the movement last year to tear down Civil War statues in the South. It was interpreted by many as a move against free speech, even though that speech was artwork celebrating a major part of American history. 
The reality of our situation is that we, as a society, have to have gatekeepers. We need people in Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram limiting what gets posted. Even the people from allsocial.com at the beginning of the show limited the content on their site. Um, so you have the right to post whatever you want, as long as it's PG-13 and less. So we you know, want people to be an adult and uh, make sure that they stay within those boundaries. Pretend that you are the person in charge of blocking stuff on all social. What if someone posts a picture of a naked person? Would you take it down? What if that person was a child? Now, what if that naked child were from the famous photograph known as Napalm Girl? It's of a nine-year-old Vietnamese girl, her back burned by napalm from the Vietnam War. She is completely naked and crying. The picture won the Pulitzer Prize for depicting the true horrors of the Vietnam War. It's a tragic image, and it's difficult to see, and it contains child nudity. So do you take it down, or do you leave it up? Let's try another example. What if there is a video that shows the violence of war, the cruelty of battle, people losing their lives due to unjust violence? Except, instead of napalm, it's a sword. I'm talking about the videos of Christians being beheaded by Muslim extremists that went viral last year. Do you take them down? They could be promoting ISIS on one hand, but they also function as a tool to let the outside world know the horrors being inflicted on non-combatants, just as the napalm photo did. Do you take it down, or do you leave it up? Regardless of your political or religious leanings, remember that the pendulum of public opinion swings back and forth. Your team may be winning now, but it's not likely to stay that way. You may feel oppressed, but history demonstrates that that could change overnight. Public opinion is crazy in that way. While liberals may feel as though they've won victories by limiting hate speech on campuses, remember that this kind of thing only drives conservatives further into their corner. While some extreme conservatives are marching for the right to not vaccinate their kids, it will only take one small disease cluster to turn the world against their brand of extreme conservatism. Extreme stances force our society further and further into our corners. I think we as Christians can face our world in one of four ways. Number one, with apathy, where we just give up and go with the flow. Number two, we compromise our beliefs to look more like the world. Number three, outright anger, where we attempt to force the world to look more like us. Or number four, which may be our only really effective option. We put our weapons down and we get back on task. We follow the Great Commission and make disciples. Even if it means losing a few cultural battles. As for the unplanned movie, the MPAA gave them an R rating, and yes, that limited their access to paid advertising. But it also meant unbelievable free advertising. 
their story has been picked up by major news outlets, including Fox News, reaching people they might never have been able to reach before, and without the expense of paying for Google Ads, all because of this quote-unquote controversy. So maybe don't feel so bad for them. We missed the greater historic narrative here. While it may look like liberals are running the MPAA now, it wasn't that long ago that conservatives were in charge and limited the public's access to things that they deemed unworthy, and censored what became known as the golden age of movies. We'll have that story for you in our next episode. What do you think about censorship? Record a voice memo on your phone and email it to me at trucepodcast at yahoo.com. We may even play it on the show. Truce is a listener-supported show. You can find out how to give by visiting the website at trucepodcast.com. There, you'll also find links to our social media accounts, my films bringing up Bobby in between the walls, and my book, Cradle Robber. Cradle Robber deals a lot with the stuff we covered in this episode, from abortion to hating people who aren't like us. And it's only $3.99. This is a one-man operation, and I'd love to take this thing on full-time. Your support can make that happen. Give some money, share about it on social media, write a review on iTunes, and tell your friends. Thanks for listening. I'm Chris Sterren, and this is Truce. This episode was brought to you in part by Just These Guys. You know, a pastor and a psychologist team up to break down scripture and psychology, empowering you to transform by the renewing of your mind. Listen today at justtheseguys.podbean.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Just These Guys, you know.